we're we're hoping that you guys would enjoy um, kind of a, a pick me up book of scripture, just like a real, you know, a wildly popular, warm and fuzzy um, bit of scripture. Would that be great right now? I think with so many things that have been affected in our lives, uh, we've been affected by the economy changing and job loss and income and celebrations. Um, education has changed quite a bit. Um, anybody traveling for fun soon? No, nobody. Oh, I guess that's weird. <laughs> um, parents, uh, are you celebrating the end of school right now? Maybe a bit teachers a little bit. <laughs> Listen, um, Ecclesiastes, uh, is I think a great spot for us to be in as a church for the first part of summer. And some have called Ecclesiastes the truest of all books because you can trust it because of the sorrow in it, because it actually talks about life, like on a real level. And so we're going to start that this morning. And basically what we're going to do is for the first part of the summer, we're going to read some, and then we're going to talk about it. And then we're going to read a little bit more, and then we're going to talk about it a little bit more. And you're going to hear from uh, different teachers um, in our church as well. So it starts off um, the NIV translation. We'll get into a couple other translations, but it starts off by saying, The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And so one of the questions I want to just throw to us today is why should we even study this? Uh, like for some of us, if you read Ecclesiastes, you might kind of get this feeling that it doesn't even belong in the Bible. Like where did this come from? And, and maybe it might even cause you to doubt a little bit the value of it spiritually. Because it just has this real sober view of life. And I think it's really healthy right now for us to look at it because we have trouble sometimes understanding who God is in light of all the struggle and all of the injustice and all of the, I would say, even many of life's inconsistencies that we experience. Those things are talked about in this book. And this book wrestles with like the big questions that you and I wrestle with. And here are some of them. Some of these questions that really lie at the heart of what it looks like to live in a fallen world, like between Eden and eternity. So we ask questions like, why is there so much suffering and injustice? Does God even care? Is, is life really worth living? Does it have a purpose? And these are tough questions to answer. Um, and we've probably been faced with these a little bit more in you know, the last couple months. And here's the thing I love about this book, because the, the writer is not satisfied with like cliche churchy answers. Like there is no, um, there's no warm and fuzzy in it. And there's a theme throughout the whole, the whole writing 
and it's a and it's a theme of under the sun what is life like under the sun and it reminds us of this kind of place we're in uh, between eden and eternity and so here's what this book also does it actually helps us figure out and learn how to worship god fully and it expands our thinking and expands our ability to worship god better and 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 here, the problem with this book is many times people like me pastors try to reshape this book to sound like paul or to sound like the new testament to, to sound better to like fit into a systematic theology of kind of so it's kind of like when you remember when you were a kid and or remember when you were a parent and you had kids <laughs> And you used to give them a little speech before you go to someone's house for dinner. And uh, the speech was something like, okay, watch your manners, say thank you, like comb your hair, make the kids look good, or, or like make you look presentable. And so when you go into this house, it, it, you, you don't upset the manners of the house, right? That's what some people try to do with Ecclesiastes. They try to make it fit. Um, a version of life and and how we see the world um, that is a little bit more comfortable sometimes but ecclesiastes doesn't allow it it doesn't allow it at all it like forces you um if, if you try to read ecclesiastes this way you're going to miss what god is trying to say it also shows us how to live for others and live for god and not for ourselves and then it also has a whole bunch of exceptions to rules, right? Like rules of how we think life should work. Um, for instance, you guys ever think it's interesting, like, you know, the whole English rule, I before E except after what? Say it out loud. I can see you talking. Perfect. I before E except after C. And then there's that little, and sometimes why? And then, and then words, and then you have words that like neighbor, you know, and way that jack the rule up. That's what Ecclesiastes is. It's like we think life should go a certain direction. So we have the book of Proverbs, and all throughout Proverbs, it tells you uh, do good, and then good things will happen to you, and then do evil, and bad things will happen to you. And then Ecclesiastes and Job's come, Job comes along and says, well, but sometimes good things happen to bad people. And sometimes bad things happen to good people. And then we're just kind of like, oh, dang. <laughs> and, and, and then God, God gives us Ecclesiastes, right? And so um, there's some great background videos for this if you're interested in nerding out a bit on the Bible Project. So if you go to thebibleproject.com, um, and search for Ecclesiastes. There's some really good background videos for this. But it really helps us, I think, be honest about life. One scholar wrote, and we'll throw some of these quotes up in the chat, um, that Ecclesiastes is kind of a back door that allows followers of Jesus to have the sad and skeptical thoughts that they would never allow to enter the front door of their faith. Like it's an opportunity for us to like just be real and and think and reflect. And so and, and this is important stuff for me, but the context of this and who's the writer and 
And a lot of people off the top, they think it's Solomon. Um, because of the way scripture is translated sometimes, uh, it says the words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem. And some people really take that literally and say, oh, that that must be Solomon. But um, many scholars believe it wasn't. It was written um, long after Solomon, and it was written actually after the, um, the people of Israel came out of exile in Babylon. And many people believe it actually came during a time where the people of Israel were back in the land, so to speak, but they weren't occupying it. Um, on their own. They were actually under the rule of a dynasty out of Egypt. But they were actually flourishing. They were actually pretty well off. They were a part of this economic trade and all this stuff that's happening. And that's why a lot of this book is actually talking about wealth. It's talking about wealth because the writer's actually speaking to and using Solomon as kind of a, a way to uh, communicate his message to the people of Israel saying, hey, all this stuff you're chasing after, how all these houses you're building, all this work you're doing, it's meaningless. And I think that's actually a really good time for us to listen to this because we're in America and we're at this slowdown economically and we're probably, some of us freaking out, whatever, like my job of this, the economy, my stock market, whatever. And the teacher's actually saying, hey, let's reorient. You know, let's reorient our thinking about what's going on here. Um, there's different versions um, of the translation. The ESV actually says the words of the preacher, son of David, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Um, I actually think one of the best translations of this word is a Eugene Peterson. He says, smoke, nothing but smoke. There's nothing to anything. It's all smoke. So the idea of the word here is vapor or smoke. So when you see smoke or vapor, it's almost like you can reach out and grab it, but it just goes through your hand. Um, that's the idea here. And so, in fact, in all the chapters of Ecclesiastes, there's 38 mentions of this, that it's all vapor, it's all smoke. And so then the questioner asks, the main question of the book. Here's the main question of the book. What do people gain from all their labors which they toil under the sun? And under the sun is just another way of saying just on this earth. If you have no other view of reality but with what you, you see, taste, smell, touch, and hear, what is the gain of all of our labor? And he, here's the answer. Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun sets, and, the, and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, and yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come where they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear it's fill of hearing, like we can't get enough. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. So he's talking about this cyclical view of life. It just repeats. And then he says a few other things here, a couple more questions. Is there anything 
of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. One, um, another scholar says this about Ecclesiastes. He says, the book of Ecclesiastes is one of the most important possessions of the church since it compels us to continually evaluate and correct our understanding of God and our teaching about God in the light of the whole biblical revelation. So it's like, this is a very important book because it course corrects us. And then he says, the teacher addresses people whose life is bounded by the horizons of this world. He meets them on their own ground and proceeds to convict them of its inherent vanity. So Ecclesiastes actually begs us, okay, to do that, to evaluate our lives. And it shows us how like weary, how weary our existence is. And that if we expect to find meaning and satisfaction in things under the sun, that we will actually find that meaningless. Um, the famous scholar, Augustine, actually wrote that the author wrote the book to suggest with such fullness as he judged adequate, the emptiness of this life with the ultimate objective to be sure of making us yearn for another kind of life, which is no unsubstantial shadow under the sun, but a substantial reality under the sun's creator. So the whole point is to get us to look past the horizon. And so with all that just super overwhelming amount of pick me up, we're gonna go into breakout groups. And so, are we ready for those, Mandy? All right, everybody. If you don't want to go into your group and be a slacker, you can stay here and I'll interrogate you. All right, let's finish up. Um, hope you got a chance to share and hear from others. And um, was it enough time or not enough time? Not enough time? enough time no okay well, that was about 50 50 so some of you i can tell like groups some of you don't <laughs> so um a couple takeaways i think is really important for us as we wrap this up obviously we're going to be in this for a, a few weeks and so there's going to be a lot of different more specific things the the quester or the teacher talks about and we'll we'll be able to talk about those um, what I don't want you to do is, is walk away from this. Um, like, I don't want this to be one of those things where you walk away and you're like, I'm not going to mow the lawn. It's meaningless. Um, I'm not going <laughs> to do dishes anymore. It's all meaningless. Forget my job. It's meaningless. That's not the point of this. Um, so if that becomes like a marital argument about vanity, um, let's, let's not go there. Um, but what I want to do is, is just kind of put ourselves in the position of reflecting. Reflecting about, in a sense, somewhat of the treadmill of life, um, the, 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 the places where we think we found meaning in our life, 
but then it evaporated. Uh, the places that we're trying to find meaning in our life and we think it's going to stick. Or, or the places that really are the places of meaning that uh, we overlook in our lives. And I think it's, it's important to slow down and to look at these things and almost develop like a, a sixth sense. Not the ability to see dead people, but the ability to see beyond the sun, see beyond the horizon. Uh, see things um, outside of the view of the five senses. And this idea comes up in Ecclesiastes of God putting eternity in our hearts, that God put us with this desire and this, this ache and this yearning for something more, something bigger, something more purposeful. And the problem is, is that we just live with our five senses, with, um, in a sense, the inertia and the treadmill of our culture. Uh, we will always be unsatisfied. And so this treadmill, we find ourselves, we get caught on it so easily. And scripture tells us that Christ comes, you know, Jesus actually says, I've come to, so that you would have life to the full and to have life abundantly. And in, in some ways, what Jesus is saying is, listen, you're breathing, you're existing, and you're alive, but you're not really living. You're not really experiencing life to the fullest. And I've come that you would have that. I've come that you would see beyond the horizon. And so God chose to enter what the writer of Ecclesiastes called under the sun. God chose to, to enter that space, to do something new that had never been done before. And so that's kind of where we're going to begin this conversation. That's where we're going to begin with these words. Um, I think this book is a tremendous book for people who are frustrated, who are doubting, who have run into difficulty and disappointment. I think this is right what uh, many of us probably need to read in here. So listen, everybody, I am so grateful you braved Zoom again. I know, like Mandy said earlier, it is we're experiencing a little exhaustion with this. Um, that's why the messages are shorter and we're just trying to, we just want to be together and connect as best we can so that one day here, hopefully in the near future, we can begin to come back together face to face.